Hello everyone and welcome back to the Scouting God Podcast. In this podcast, we're going to try to read all the merit badge books that Scouting has to offer. In this episode, we're going to be continuing going over the second class rank requirements. The next requirement is requirement 5C. Demonstrate water rescue methods by reaching out with your arm or leg, by reaching out with a suitable object, and by throwing lines and objects. Water rescues. Learn to swim and you will know how to take care of yourself in the water. Learn to carry out a water rescue and you'll be ready to help someone who is in danger of drowning. You can learn life-saving skills and practice water rescues at scout camps. Local pools also may offer life-saving courses. When you see that someone is in the water is in trouble, as with any other emergency, remain calm and take a few moments to seize up the situation. If someone else has already begun a rescue effort, be ready to assist. Make sure someone has called for additional help. Make an eye on the victim. If the person goes under, remember where you last saw him or her. To help a person who is struggling in the water, try first reaching for the person, then throwing something to the person, then assisting the person by rowing out in a boat. Only when those options don't work should you consider swimming or going rescue. Those prepared for swimming rescue should always use equipment, preferably a flotation device, to separate themselves from a conscious victim. Swimming rescues that require direct contact with a person in danger are normally used only for victims who are unconscious. Water rescue methods. Reach, throw, row, or go with support. Reaching rescues. Many water accidents happen close to shore while staying on dry land or standing in shallow water. You might be able to reach a victim with your hands or foot or with a pole branch, towel, noodle, deck chair, or whatever else is nearby. Be ready to stay low or hold on to a fixed object to keep from getting pulled in. Silent drowning. Swimmers who are in trouble don't typically wave their arms and scream for help. They are too busy trying to survive. In real life, drowning is subtle, quick, and quiet. That's why it is important to use the buddy system and have lifeguards and lookouts on duty during all swimming activities. Throwing rescue. If the victim is far from shore to reach, you can throw an object that floats. A ring buoy or another object with a line attached to it is best. But either object or a line can be used alone. If a ring buoy isn't readily available, you can throw an air mattress, a life jacket, or a paddle, a panic cooler, or a rope. Practice throwing a rope both with a weight on it and without any weight. Remember to hold on to the other end when throwing an object with a weight on it. Aim just beyond the victim and pull it back towards him or her. Rowing rescues. When a victim can't be rescued by reaching or throwing from the shore. Sure, you may be able to perform a reaching or throwing rescue by rowing a boat out to the victim. Wear a life jacket and get someone else to help you control the boat. As you get near the victim, reach out with a paddle or an oar, then, or throw the person an extra life jacket. Earn a merit badge life-saving. Completing the life-saving merit badge will prepare you to use swimming rescue methods, if they are ever needed. It is one of the, the requirement 13 required merit badges of the Eagle Scout rank. Line Tender Rescue. The fourth point of the Safe Swim def- Defense requires the troop swimming activity to be protected by a rescue team ready to, de- ready to respond during a drowning situation. With a bit of practice, two strong swimmers can safely use the line tender procedure for troop swim protections. Tie a line in the end of a rope to make a large loop. Then, place the loop over the shoulder and under the opposite arm of the rescuer. If possible, the rescuer should take with him something that will float, such as a ring buoy, seat cushion, or other flotation device. 
As the rescuer swims towards the victim, his body, the rope tender stays on shore to feed out the rope to closely watch the rescuer and the struggling swimmer. The rescuer presents the floating device to the victim, and when the victim takes hold, signals for the rope tender to pull both of them back to safety. If no flotation device is available, the rescuer can swim past the victim, staying out of reach, and then turn so that the line is pulled within the victim's grasp. The rescuer can signal for the tender to pull both of them back to shore. An unconscious person or someone who is injured might not be able to hold the rope. When that is the case, the rescuer can grab the victim, the person's face out of the water, while the rope tender bills, pulls the rescue and the victim in. Going Swimming Rescues Go by swimming only if there is no way to save a person. Following the rules whenever you are, considered a swimming rescue. Never attempt a swimming rescue unless you are a strong swimmer. Never attempt a swimming rescue unless you are trained in life-saving. A person struggling in the water is fighting for life. Unless you know what to do, the person might pull you under. If you are trained in life-saving and confident in your skills, quickly strip down to your underwear, keeping an eye on the victim at all times. Take along something that will float, a life jacket, an air mattress, an inner tube, a... Uh, a paddle or whatever else is handy. Use the breaststroke so that you can watch the victim as you swim towards him or her. But stay beyond the victim's reach. Push the flotation device to the victim, then back off. Let the person grab the far side of the flotating item that you have brought. Wait until the victim becomes calm, even if that means he or she loses consciousness. Then pull the person ashore. Becoming tangled with someone struggling in the water can lead to serious trouble for you and the victim. Don't put yourself in danger. If reaching and throwing are impossible, and you don't have the equipment to go out with support, your best course of action could be to go for help. Only in rare situations will a swimming rescue be your only choice. The next section is first aid and emergency preparedness. Demonstrate first aid in the following. Object in the eye. Bite of a warm-blooded animal. Puncture wounds from a splinter, nail, and fish hook. Serious burns. Heat exhaustion. Shock. Heat stroke, dehydration, hypothermia, and hyperventilation. In the eye. Protect your eyes by wearing safety glasses or goggles when using tools, lawn, and garden equipment, or anything else that might throw off particles or other debris. If something does, does get into someone's eye, encourage him or her not to rub it. Persons who wear contact lenses should remove them. Ask a person to blink the eyes rapidly. This might allow tears to wash the eye clear. Flushing the eyes with clean water from a faucet cup or water bottle can also clear a foreign particle from the eye. Another option is to have the person pull the upper eyelid out and down over the lower lid to clear the object. You can also use the corner of a clean handkerchief to lift the object from the eye. If none of these treatment works, cover the injured eye with a dry, sterile gauze pad and get the person to a doctor. Animal Bites the bite of a warm-blooded animal, such as a dog, cat, skunk, raccoon, fox, or bat, is a serious puncture wound. To treat the animal bite, wash the wound with soap and water and flush it with the clean water for several minutes. Control bleeding and cover the wound with a sterile bandage. Seek medical attention as soon as possible. Rabbit Animals Warm-blooded animals may have rabies, a deadly illness that can be spread through their saliva. For this reason, the person who was bitten must see a doctor who can determine whether to administer rabies shots. As for a first step, thoroughly wash the affected area with soap and water. An unprovoked attack could be a sign that the animal is rabid. Report all animal bites to your local public health authorities or the police. Do not kill the animal unless necessary, and do not put yourself at risk by trying to catch the animal.
Call the police, park rangers, or animal control officers who are trained to do the job safely. Suspicious animals might be con confined and observed or destroyed so that they can be tested for rabies. If the bite was caused by a pet, write down the owner's name, address, and telephone number. If the injury was caused by a wild animal, write a description of the animal, its behavior, and where it was last seen. This information will help public health authorities take an action. Wounds. Pins, splinters, fish hooks, cactus vines, nails, and other sharp objects can cause puncture wounds. Those types of deep wounds typically do not bleed very much, but can trap bacteria that might cause infection. Do not flush or irrigate the wound with water. Instead, scrub the surface thoroughly with soap and water and then apply a sterilite bandage. Get the victim to medical attention as soon as possible. Because puncture wounds pose a high risk of infection, a doctor might prescribe antibiotics. If a large object is embedded in the flesh, a nail, for example, do not try to remove it. Gently wash this area with soap and water, apply a sterilite bandage, and seek medical attention. Fish hook wounds. A fish hook stuck in the skin is a type of puncture wound that may occur during a fishing trip. To remove it, cut the fishing line. If the hook has lodged into as lodged so that the hard barb is embedded below the skin, you might not be able to remove it at the field by doing the following. Wrap a three foot length of fishing around the bend of the hook and secretly wrap the ends around your index or middle finger. Keep the affected body part flat and stable. Gently push down on the sink to free the barb from the injured tissue. The shark should be parallel to the injured tissue. Have bystanders move well away from the area. Give the line a quick, sharp jerk to free the hook. Be careful to avoid getting snagged by the hook. Wash the injured area with soap and water. Apply antibiotic ointment if there are no allergies and bandage the in injury. See a doctor if symptoms of infection occur, because the risk of infection is possible. Do not remove a fish hook from the head or neck. The chances of additional in injury to those areas are too great. This task is for a doctor. Removing splinters. Splinters are annoying and can lead to infection. Use sterilized tweezers to pull out splinters, bits of grass, or small objects you can see. Hold the injured area under clean running water for about 5 minutes to help flush out the wound. If the person is not allergic, apply triple antibiotic ointment and a sterilized bandage. If a large object is embedded, do not try to remove it. Control any bleeding and stabilize the object with rolled or fold sterilized gauze pads. Apply a sterilized bandage, secure the objects in place, and get the victim to a doctor. Burns A spark from a campfire, boiling water spilled from a pot, toxic chemicals, a live electrical line. The cause of burns are many. First aid treatments for a burn depends on how serious it is. Burns usually are characterized by the degrees of skin and tissue damage. First degree burns are generally minor and need only treatment with cold water or cool wet compresses. However, second and third degree burns can be very, very serious and even life-threatening. Use the first aid method to treat a victim of serious burns. Take a moment to size up the situation. Then, decide what to do. Approach it with care so that you do not become a burn victim yourself. If a person must be moved away from a source of heat, do so only if you will not prove yourself a risk. Treat hurry cases of stopped breathing or heartbeat and severe bleeding and keep the victim's airway open, then treat for the burn itself. Get immediate medical treatment for the victim if the burns cause terrible breathing might have affected the airway, for example, if the mouth and nose have been burned. Affect the head, neck, hands, feet, or groin, as if there are, are third-degree burns, full-thickness burns. 
are the result of chemical explosions or electricity. First-degree burns, minor burns, classic sunburn, or scalds. If you touch hot stove or forget to apply sunscreen while camping, you can suffer a first-degree burn, also known as a superficial burn. The skin will be tender, and it might become red. For comfort, hold the injured area under cold water or apply cool, wet compresses until the plane subsided. Do not apply ice, which can cause further harm. Treat the affected area with aloe vera gel. Treat sunburns by applying cool, damp cloths by protecting the skin from further exposure to the sun. Most sunburns are superficial burns, although most serious sunburns include the blisters of a per partial thickness burn. To guard against sunburn, use a sunscreen with sun protection factor, or SPF, of at least 30 when outdoors. You can also wear long sleeve shirts, long pants, and a broad-brimmed hat. Clothing with the ultraviolet protection factor, or UPF, rating is designed to ward off ultraviolet lights. Second degree burns, partial thickness burns. Medical professionals refer to second-degree burns as partial thickness burns because the injury goes partway through the tissue beneath the skin. Blisters are a sign of second-degree burn. Treat a second-degree burn by placing the injured area in cool water or applying wet cloths until the pain improves. Allow the injury to dry, then protect it with a sterilized gauze pad. Don't apply butter, creams, ointment, or sprays. These are difficult to remove and might slow the healing process. Try not to break any blisters. Doing so can increase the chances of infection. If a blister does break, protect it with the sterilized gauze. Third-degree burns, full-thickness burns. Third-degree burns damage the skin and the tissue beneath it. They are also known as full-thickness burns. Skin might be burned away and flesh blackened. Third-degree burns injure nerves, so the victim might not feel pain. Call 911 or your lo local emergency number if for emergency service. Do not Try to remove clothing. It might stick to the flesh. Do not apply butter, butter, creams, ointment, or sprays. Wrap a clean, dry cloth around the injury and treat the person for shock until professional medical help arrives. Exhaustion. Heat exhaustion can be brought on by a combination of dehydration and a warm environment. It is not uncommon during outdoor activities conducted in hot weather, especially if participants are not fully acclimated to the conditions. Signals of heat exhaustion might include severe lack of energy, general weakness, headache, nausea, faintness, sweating, cool, pale, and moist skin, a rapid pulse. Follow these steps to treat someone suffering from heat exhaustion. 1. Have the victim lie in a cool, shady place where with the feet raised, remove excess clothing. 2. Cool the victim by applying wet cloths to the body and fanning. 3. If the person is fully alert, let him or her drink some water. The key is to treating heat exhaustion is rehydration. Recovery should be rapid. If symptoms remain, call for medical help. Shock. When a person is injured or under great stress, the circulatory system might not provide enough blood to all parts of the body, known as shock. This condition can cause organ failure and can be life-threatening. Someone suffering from shock may have some, all, or none of the following signals. Restlessness or irritability, weakness, confusion, fear, and dizziness, skin that is moist, clammy, cool, and pale, a quick, weak pulse, shallow, rapid, and irregular heart beating, nausea and vom vomiting, extreme thirst. Treat every ex accident victim for shock, even if there are no signs. People who have been injured almost always experience some degree of shock, but they might not be affected right away. Prompt first aid might be prevent shock from setting in. Recovery position. 
Place your victim who is unconscious but breathing normally in the recovery position. This will help keep the airway open and prevent the person from choking on saliva, blood, or vomit. Do not move a victim if you suspect a head or neck injury. Extend the person's lower limb on line with his or her body. Grasp the leg closest to you and bend it up. Support, support the head and neck as you grasp the victim's hip and shoulder. The slowly roll the person away from you so that he or she is lying on the side. Continue to check the person's breathing until medical helps arise. First aid for shock. Never leave an accident victim alone unless you have no other choice. Fear can hasten shock. In a calm voice, assure the victim that everything possible is being done to care for him or her. A person who appears to be unconscious might still be able to hear you, so keep letting the victim know that you are still there. 1. Call for help. 2. Try to eliminate the cause of shock by treating hurry cases. Check the airway and restore breathing and circulation. Control bleeding. Check for signals of poisoning. Treat serious wounds. 3. Help Help the injured person lie down. If you don't suspect back, neck, or head injuries or fractures in the hip, leg, or pelvis, raise the feet about 12 inches to move blood from the leg to the vital organs. 4. Keep the victim warm by surrounding in his or her body with blankets, coats, or sleeping bags. Next requirement is requirement 6B. Show what to do for hurry cases of stopped breathing, stroke, severe bleeding, and ingested poisoning. Hurry cases. Any situation in which a victim has stopped breathing, has no heartbeat, is bleeding severely, has ingested poison, or is showing signs of stroke is a hurry case. All hurry cases require quick action in order to save the victim's life. Whenever you come upon an injured person, stop and look over the scene for a moment. Figure out what has happened and decide what you can do. Be sure you can approach safely and that you won't be in danger. Do a quick survey, 15 to 20 seconds, of the injured person's condition. 1. Is the person's spine injured? If you come upon an unconscious person but do not know what caused the emergency, you should assume that the head, neck, or back has been injured and take precautions to protect the neck and spine. 2. Is the person breathing and is the heart beating? If the person appears to be unconscious, pat him or her on the shoulders and ask if everything is okay. If the person doesn't respond, watch for the chest to rise and fall or see if the person shows any signs of movement. These signs are life. 3. Is, this, is there severe bleeding? Open rain gear and outdoor clothing to check for bleeding injuries that might have been hidden by clothing or that might be on the victim's backside. Are the signs of poisoning? Consider the victim's appearance and behavior. Look for cues, pill bottles and fuel containers, etc. that suggest he or she might have ingested a poisonous substance. Once you have completed the quick survey, have someone telephone or go for help while you begin treatment. Protecting the neck and spine. The backbone spinal column is made up of small bones called vertebrate that surrounds it and protects the spinal cord. If a vertebrae is broken or dislocated, the spinal cord could be injured, resulting in permanent paralysis. Moving a victim can cause further spine damage, which is why you should never move the victim only when it is absolutely necessary. Whenever someone has fallen, been in a car accident, or suffered a blow to the head, assume that there is an injury to the head, neck, or back, and act accordingly. If you come upon an unconscious person but do not know what caused the emergency, you should also assume that the head, back, neck has been injured, and take these steps to protect the neck and spine. Stabilize the neck and spine by holding the person's head in the position you found it until medical personnel can determine whether the spinal column has been harmed. 
Another first aider or bystander can hold the victim's head and neck steady while you provide urgent treatment. If the victim is unresponsive and without signs of life, you can suspect a head or neck injury, begin chest compressions. Treat for shock, but do not unnecessarily change the victim's position. People with suspected head, neck, or spine injuries should not be moved unless there is a potential danger. When the, pers- when the path of danger, organize bystanders to help so that the victim can be lifted all once without the body twisting or bending. One person should continue to hold the neck and head in a stable position throughout any move. Heartbeat and breathing hurry cases. A person might stop breathing because of a heart attack, electrical shock, suffocation, drowning, smoke inhalation, and other health conditions or injuries. Brain damage or death can occur minutes after a person stops breathing and the heart stops beating. Quick, efficient use of un- automated external defibrillator or admission of cardiopulmonary restoration or CPR is essential if the victim is not responding or is unconscious. Follow these steps. 1. Check for signs of life for more no than 10 seconds. If the person is breathing, you will feel and hear the airflow on your cheek and see and feel the chest rising and falling. If you cannot detect any signs of life, send someone to call 911 or your local emergency number and get an automated external defibrillator. If one is located nearby, if no one else is available, make your call yourself. If the victim is a child or infant and you are alone, give two minutes of care before you leave to find medical help. 2. If the victim is an adult, place the heel of one hand in the center of the chest and heel on the other hand on top of it. Interlace your fingers if it is comfortable for you. If the victim is a child, use one or two hands. If the victim is an infant, place the tips of two or three fingers in the center of the chest. Give 30 hard and fast chest compressions, about 100 per minute, or or 30 compressions in about 18 seconds. For adult victims, the compressions should be at least 2 inches deep. For children, they should be about 2 inches deep. And for infants, they should be about 1.5 inches deep. 3. If you do not suspect head, neck, or spinal injuries, tilt the victim's head back by pushing down on the forehead with one hand and lifting the chin with the other. This will keep the victim's tongue from blocking the airway. 4. Place a CPR breathing barrier over the victim's mouth to protect both of you from this disease that can be spread by mouth. Pinch the victim's nose and blow in for about a second to make the chest rise. With an infant, cover the mouth and nose with the breathing barrier, then blow for a second. Give two rescue breaths. Watch to make sure the victim's chest rises with each breath. If not, retilt the head and try again. Repeat the pattern, 30 compressions, followed by two breaths until medical personnel arrives or another first aider takes over an automated external defibrillator is ready to use. You become too exhausted to continue, the scene becomes unsafe, or you see obvious signs of life. Always protect the area of an accident victim. If he or she begins to vomit, turn the person into the side away from you so that the vomit comes out of the mouth and is not inhaled into the lungs. Remember to stabilize the head and neck if you suspect a spine injury. Defibrillation. When someone's heart has stopped, a machine called a defibrillator can sometimes help the heart start beating regularly again. Most ambulances, hospitals, and emergency care facilities have defibrillators are trained for medical personnel to use. An automated external defibrillator, or AED for short, can be used in emergencies by scouts and other people who are trained in the use. 
Airports, shopping malls, schools, and many other places where people gather have installed AEDs in much in the same way fire extinguishers are made available for quick access. Scouts can learn to use AEDs from trained instructors, often in combination with CPR training. An AED is com- computerized. It can check a person's heart rhythm and recognize a rhythm that the that requires a shock. It can also advise the rescuer when a shock is needed. AEDs use voice prompts, lights, and text messages to tell the rescuer the steps to take. AEDs are very accurate and easy to use. A lay layperson can also learn to operate an AED, but you should train to operate one safely and effectively. If you have an AED and someone knows who knows how to use it, have the person take over. Heart attack and sudden cardiac arrest. A heart attack happens when an artery that supplies blood to the heart is blocked. Heart attacks can damage or kill heart muscles and are leading cause of death in the United States. Learn to recognize the warning signals of a heart attack. Then be prepared to take prompt action by calling 911 or your local emergency number. In some cases, you might assist by responding to a heart attack victim's request for help in finding or operating medications. Common warning signs of heart attacks. The warning signals of a heart attack may include one or more of the following. Persistent uncomfortable pressure or squeezing, fullness, pain, or a burning sensation in the center of the chest behind the breastbone. The feeling may spread to the shoulders, arms, and neck, and it might last for several minutes or longer, and it should come and go. The pain is not always severe. Unusual sweating. A person experiencing a heart attack may and even though a room is cold. Nausea. Stomach distress when an urge to vomit is capable of nausea that may also occur a person experiencing a heart attack. Shortness of breath. A feeling of weakness. Women and men can experience different warning signs. While women might feel the same heaviness in the chest that men might feel, they can also show less obvious symptoms, such as intermittent back and abdominal and upper body pain. Unexplained fatigue and dizziness. These warning signs can also appear in men. Should anyone complain of these symptoms, immediately call for medical help. Don't delay. Be ready to begin CPR if the heartbeat and breathing stops. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Scouting Guide Podcast. Next week, we will be continuing going over the second class rank requirements.